Beyond the Lamplight both starts and ends this podcast. Yes, they do. Indeed. Welcome, everyone, to the very first ever episode of the Those Rules Don't Apply to Us podcast. My name is Mackenzie Mackinich, and right across the table from me is my best friend... Andrew Gates, but I go by Andy. He does go by Andy, and he calls me Mac, so we will probably be known as Andy and Mac in this podcast. And Uh, other insults, let's be clear. None of them are true if they're directed towards me, but, you know, but we're going to get into a whole lot of that. So in this podcast, there are going to be some pretty amazing tales to tell, such as sneaking into a Hollywood black tie affair dressed as idiots, shaking hands with Chris Cornell in the front row during his final ever performance with Temple of the Dog in Seattle, dancing on stage with Michael Franti, meeting heroes of ours from the doors, even Jack Black making fun of Andy's mother, and so much more. Uh, Some other things you're going to hear if you continue to listen to this podcast is uh, just us talking about hanging out backstage with celebrity musicians such as Jeff Beck, Lucas Nelson, um, even being on stage and performing with Tom Morello, which was absolutely bananas. I can't wait to tell that story. It was fucking insane. Yeah. And then another one, um, even driving through a bar. And yes, you did hear that last part correctly. Um, Andy drove through a bar one time, and we can't wait to get to that story someday as well. So we hope this is going to get your interest because of that. Uh, We literally have hours and hours of stories like these to share, so this is what we're going to do. So to kind of start it off, there's going to be some questions of why did we choose the name Those Rules Don't Apply to Us for this podcast? And I'm going to kind of defer to Andy on this one because uh, it's a phrase that he has uttered many times through the years. It's kind of a phrase I live by, quite honestly. I don't like rules. It's good to know the rules if you're going to break the rules. And if you just approach it like those rules don't apply to me, or in this case, us, you know, just go for it. What's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to say, no, you don't belong here. Kind of go out. No, move. All right, I'm not on anything for trying. Might as well give it a shot. Uh, I live by that motto, and I, I will forever. Those rules don't apply to us. Which has been very admirable for me because, like, I've learned so many things from you through the years, like that, such as, yeah, you know, these rules don't apply to me, and those weren't things that I necessarily used to implement into my life and those kind of actions. So. Um, when we were talking about what do we name this, that one just seemed to kind of make sense because as we're going to talk about in these podcast episodes, there's so many things that we have gotten into that others just haven't gotten to experience. And part of it was because we just kind of took that attitude of like, you know what, those rules just don't really apply to us. So another question that listeners might have is why are we even doing this? So originally, this was kind of like a vanity project for us because we just wanted to listen back to these memories someday. And really, this was just for us to record these. So we started kind of having discussions about how we should start recording some of these stories because the older we're getting, you know, the details and the memories are starting to fade a little bit between the two of us. Um, Do you have more thoughts on that or? No, it's kind of it. Uh, I think it was, you know, in 2014 or 15. You know, we see a lot of shows and 
I had mentioned, I, I need to start tracking this because at the end of a year, I couldn't tell you who I saw that year. We saw so many shows. And for reference, when Andy says a lot of shows, like we're both like over 120 for the year as we record this right now at the end of December. So yeah, we yeah. go to a lot. Yeah. I think at the end of this year, I'll be at 123. Yeah. And that's kind of a weak year. Yeah. Down here, <laughs> you know, so uh, so there was that. And then also, you know, a lot of our friends have just been asking us through the years to just repeat some of these stories of these different things that have happened and often. So we kind of just collectively agreed that, you know, a lot of these stories are really epic, but also there's a certain magic that just kind of happens when the two of us are at shows together that, you know, quite often doesn't actually happen when we're not at a show together which is something that neither one of us can really explain. I know I don't know how to explain that. I got nothing. And you're going to hear that theme come up many, many times throughout these podcasts that we record and recall on some of these memories. So yeah, that was kind of the basis of like why we're doing this. So next, you know, the listener might be asking, who are these two people? So I kind of want to start on just giving a little bit of discussion of like who we both are. So why don't we start with you? Um, in 93, I had an opportunity to transfer with my job out to Seattle. And part of my reasoning for coming out here was getting to see the tail end of the Seattle music scene. I was fortunate enough to see you know, Pearl Jam in end of 93, uh, Nirvana in 94, and, you know, some of the other local legends. Um, it was after that, a couple of years here, uh, as it turned out, I became a stay-at-home dad, and you know the opportunity to go out to shows in my mind at that point just kind of weren't there. I was focused on stay-at-home dad. You know, I realized that getting out and doing something for my own mental health was important. You know, and heading out to Seattle to see a show on a Friday or a Saturday or a Tuesday, you know, kind of recharged me. Over time turned into, you know, going out to see my favorite bands like Larry and his Flask and the Stone Foxes and Middle Class Red. I mean, I just come home from that kind of recharged and, you know, uh, just, you know, willing to do my job better. And over time, when you go see your favorite bands over and over and over again, some would say obsessively, <laughs> that would be Joanne. <laughs> <laughs> you end up becoming friends with them and then you become friends with them. And ultimately, I got invited into the van on tours. I mean, I had no role uh, become friends with them. And over time, you know, I'd help them out. I'd load in, I'd load out, I'd sling merch. And, you know, that turned into working with bands. And over time, more bands kind of got added to that roster that I got to roll with. And uh, Yeah, and tour managing and stage managing. And you started doing all those kind of things. Uh, yeah. All the things. Absolutely. You know, and that turned into working with bands. And ultimately, uh, over time, that ended up being, you know, that opened the door for more amazing experiences because I get to be there, you know, in the room, on the stage, in the thing with what I call, you know, like the the special wristband that gives you all access. You know, I'm not a musician, but I got as close to the music industry as I could, traveling with the bands, going to the shows, helping out as, you know, roadie, guitar tech, driver, uh, you know, slinging merch, uh, all those things. And it got me really close to the flame. And uh, as 
I'm not a musician. I, I just didn't know how to participate in that. So, although I would debate that because you're you're technically in a band and you you can play what is it 22 seconds of a song on a harmonica? Is that right? And I sing dodgy backing vocals. Yeah. So, I think you're a musician. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's one of you. Yeah. Well, there you go. You have a fan in me, my friend. Yeah. Thank you. You know, uh, going to see the bands ultimately changed my life. Yeah. Yeah. Music junkie just like me. Yeah. Like we always say, like, we're chasing that high, you know, of trying to get that next big experience there. So, yeah. yeah. No doubt. Uh, still doing it. Yeah. So that is my, my very good friend, Andy Gates, and a little explanation of who he is. Um, as for me, as mentioned, my name is Mackenzie Mackinich. Uh, I have been involved with the music industry now for over 21 years, which is insane for me. Uh, that is in both Cincinnati and Seattle, um, as I grew up in Ohio. Uh, I've been an artist manager. I've been a booking agent, a venue talent buyer, a music journalist, a radio show host. I've kind of dipped my fingers into um, uh, many, many pools involving music and the music industry. I've lived in Seattle since 2006, and um, as mentioned, as Andy did as well, you know, I go to uh, probably about over 100 shows a year, and um, I'm pretty involved with my community as well, and I do a lot of volunteer work and whatnot. Um, I'm an avid fan of the outdoors, and I'm also a diehard New York Yankees fan, <laughs> much to the dismay of this gentleman, and I said that gentleman sitting across the table from me. Uh and that's also just proof that, you know, cats and dogs and opposites can be friends because, you know, I you're a Red Sox fan and I like the better team than the New York Yankees. And yet we get along, we're best friends. So, yeah. Anyway, I'm going to keep talking because you're staring at me here. Your friendship is waning right now. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. On the topic of our friendship, though, you know, mutually our favorite band is The Doors. And therefore, we have had countless, countless, countless hours of discussion on that band uh, sparing our female companions from the boredom of those conversations. So that's a, definitely a way where we uh, bond for music and, and whatnot. I'm not so sure I can say that I did not board my wife, Joanne, with all those conversations. Sorry, Joanne. That is fair, but I have absorbed a lot of it for her. So hi, Joanne. Anyway, uh, I'm also a huge Radiohead fan, a huge Jack White fan, huge Pearl Jam fan, and you'll hear tales about all those bands through uh, through this podcast. So back to the topic of those rules don't apply to us. Before you and I were friends, we were both out basically trying to create the best possible experiences at concerts as we could uh, just on our own. So Andy, do you want to share some of those early memories and concert memories just in general? The start of my concert addiction started in 1981 at my first ever show, The Joe Perry Project. Um, I was hooked. I'm in. There was just something about it. It kind of was exciting, kind of felt at home. Way better than listening to albums as far as I was concerned. I think it was about a year later when I first had my first few show experiences where, you know, quite honestly, you know, those rules didn't apply to me. It was uh, seeing the Jay Giles Band at the Worcester Centrum on a New Year's Eve show, and a little bit later was an Aerosmith show. I just kind of kept working my way forwards towards the stage until ultimately I ended up on the rail. As far as I'm concerned, you know, rock and roll is not about following the rules. I mean, it's quite the opposite. I mean, if you paid any damn attention to the music you're listening to, 
you know, and I bought into that philosophy. It's their job to keep me from working my way up. So, I mean, <laughs> the worst thing they can do is say, sir, go back to your seat. You know, fuck it. It's worth a shot. Yeah, exactly. What's the worst? They'll say no. Oh, well. Okay. Go back. I go yeah. back to the shit seats. Yeah. I think we should also throw a disclaimer that um, we are not suggesting people do things like this. <laughs> I am. Well, as, you know, if someone's wanting to do uh, bad intentions, that's not a good thing. All we are talking about here is just our experiences and things that we have done and experienced. So, yeah. Were you legally required to say that? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's worthwhile to keep it. Yeah, so for me, my very first ever concert was Leonard Skidder in 1994. My friend Scott and I, we sat in the lawn for that show, which is all I basically ever did for many, many years. So my experiences were a little different than yours. We just went to concerts. You know, we didn't have a lot of money. We just sat in the what I now consider bad seats, and we were just out in the, out in the lawn, and that's just how it was. Um, my first memories, though, of what I would consider not following the rules and starting to get into that realm a little bit is probably in like the summer of 2003. So I saw like Lollapalooza and Radiohead and the Chili Peppers. And these were back in Cincinnati. And at, at all of those shows, uh, the very first one was Lollapalooza, where I just started, you know, kind of sneaking up to get better seats, which is something I'd never done before. Uh, kind of noticed our security guard wasn't looking. And then when he had his back turned, I just went behind him. And then, you know, I'd go up three rows, wait a song, go up three more till the next thing you know, I'm like up towards the front. And like mentioned with your experiences, that was a little bit of an awakening for me of like, oh, why stay in the back when it's so much better towards the front? Like, what have I been doing all these years? And as it turns out, it's pretty easy to do. Yeah, it is. I mean, it shouldn't take a rocket surgeon. To figure that out. A rocket surgeon. I don't I don't think it does. Yeah. And I'm definitely not a rocket surgeon. That we is we know. That is a fact for sure. Yeah. It, it, but also I think where some of it comes in though is just having the confidence that you can do it and the confidence that like you know, like you said, like who cares even if you get caught. And I think confidence plays a big role for a lot of things. So another one that I had kind of listed too was in uh I saw the Stooges out here in Seattle at the Wama Theater in April of uh, 2007, I think it was. And and this is one I'll probably talk about at length at another time. But basically, there was an opportunity where Eddie Vedder and his wife were standing like 15 feet away from my friends and I. And you didn't tackle him? No, no. I was afraid of his wife beating the shit out of me. I was going to say, you thought about it, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, my friends and I, we really sat there and we just debated like little high school girls for you know, about 10 minutes, like, who's going to go talk to him? Somebody's got to go talk to him, blah, blah, blah. And then finally, I was just like, fuck it, I'll go talk to him. And I mustered up the courage. And this is like where I'm segmenting. This is, you know, the confidence to actually go and speak to the man. But I was also careful. Like, you know, it didn't seem like he and his wife were engaged in deep conversation. I didn't want to bother him. They're just kind of hanging out and just watching the show. And I walked over and I said, hey, you know, I, I really hate to do this. But, you know, are you who I think you are? And he just kind of smiled at me and he goes, nah, man. And he like lightly tapped uh, my chin with his knuckles. He goes, I'm Muhammad Ali. And from there, we just had the greatest time. We sat and talked to him for about 10 minutes and he was a, a wonderful human. But had I not had the confidence at a show to elevate my experience, that never would have happened. And I probably would have just sat, stood in the back and be like, oh, what, that, that's Eddie Vedder over there. 
But what I like about that story, though, is that you approached it with a little bit of humbleness and not wanting to impose upon his experience. Yeah. It's not a Pearl Jam show. He's not on duty. You know, right. He's watching the show and you led with, like, I'm sorry to do this. Which is super important. I think people should. And there's been many, many times, and we'll probably talk about it in this podcast, where I have left celebrities alone. Because, like, you can kind of tell, like, they don't want bothered. They're just in public. Like, leave them be. They're just people. And I think that's important as well. Agreed. Yeah. Okay, so we've gone into quite a bit of detail about how live music is a huge part of both of our lives and what music means to us. But all of those experiences we talked about were back when we were kind of on our own and we weren't friends. So next, I think we should probably just go ahead and shift and talk about uh, how we became friends and how we met and, you know, how our worlds have come together. Uh, For me, the first thing that probably comes to mind is, uh, well, I'll back up a second. We have realized that through conversations over the years that we were in the same room for other shows years and years before uh, where we just didn't know each other yet. So like Eddie Vedder, I think 2011 at uh, Benaroy Hall and Fits in the Tantrums and God only knows what other shows we were at. Uh, But one that really sticks out to where we were at the same place and our worlds kind of came together was Bumbershoot, uh, September of 2012. And uh, for that show, at the time, I was the booking agent for a smaller band around Seattle called Aaron Jones and the Way. And we weren't even originally on the bill for that festival, but we got a call about three days earlier where they said, hey, somebody had canceled and they asked if, you know, we could fill in for this. Um, if you're not from Seattle and if you don't understand what Bumbershoot is, it's a humongous festival, the biggest one that happens in the Seattle area for sure. It's been going on for roughly 50 years now at this point. And this was an enormous opportunity for our band. Now, at the time, like, you know, I don't even think we had even played like at the high dive yet. And again, if you're not from Seattle, that's a venue that maybe holds 200 people. So the answer was a resounding yes, we would like to play. And um, sure, we just went after it. For us, you know, I won't go into a ton of details of probably what that was like for Aaron and his band and that experience. Um, what I will say, though, is that the the band absolutely killed it. Uh, there was 100%. Yeah, there was a crowd of just thousands of people there. It was a great time slot in the middle of the, of the afternoon, I think on a Saturday on the mural stage out, outdoors. Which is iconic in Seattle lore. Right. And we had played uh, just before the Heartless Bastards. I mean, this was a really, really good time slot. Uh, Career-changing moment, for sure, for the band. And now, uh, where this is going to kind of kick into where, again, where the rules don't necessarily apply was when we were um, getting together for the festival, they said, well, if you have any merchandise to sell, you know, bring it to us and we're going to go take all the merchandise over to, you know, who knows how far you even had to walk half a mile away to go go there to buy merchandise for the band because that's what they do for all the bands. Nobody's going to do that. Right. And that's kind of what I was thinking at the show. It's like, are people really going to go there after this set? And I said, you know what? Screw it. It's like we had a a CD we were selling for five dollars, like a little EP of like maybe five songs. And I just told the band, I was like, you know what? Go up there and announce that like when the set is over, over here on the side, this this guy standing over there is going to be selling CDs. And we just did it guerrilla style and just said, screw it, basically. And that's exactly what we did. And that's kind of the fateful moment where we met. I mean, we didn't know each other, but I, I bought one of those CDs off of you that day. Yeah. And by met, it was like, 
here's five dollars here's a cd thanks sir next 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 i mean <laughs> but we interacted for the very first time you know at that one um so what was that day of bummer shoot like for you and you know your experience so for me um i had done my research um of all the bands before the festival you could go on the bummer shoot link and you know click on a, a link for a single song from each band and you know, Aaron's music just kind of stood out to me. I mean, I told all my friends, like, this is the band we got to see that day. And since Aaron wasn't the originally planned artist on that stage at that time, uh, they didn't end up on the official schedule. I mean, we walked the in. The printed out schedule. Printed yeah. out schedule, there wasn't yeah. time. You know, I walked in, looked at the schedule, and he's not there. And I was pretty damn disappointed. So I went and did something else. And for some weird reason around the time that Aaron set was going on, I kind of wandered that way and man, I heard it. I heard what could have only have been Aaron Jones. And again, I texted all my friends who I said we should see him. And I texted him that he's not here. And then I had to text him, get your ass here. And And that was your first time ever even seeing first time ever, absolutely. Yeah, it was fantastic. And I mean, it was really impressive that he broke a string during the set and he still played (laughs) the damn guitar and a solo while changing a string. Yes, my stress level was, you know, through the roof. But yes, I I remember that very well. My stress level was at zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's where we met. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, like we said, you basically just became an instant fan right there that day. And then about two weeks later, uh, the band was playing again at the Kirkland Performance Center. And my mom was in town, actually, for that. And, you know, she wanted to see the band. So I brought her to the show and... Uh, on the side of the stage, we had uh, set up a thing where they set up tables actually on the side of the stage. So I think you had to pay like a premium amount or something like that. And then you yeah, got you to watch. Yeah, you sold it as a VIP ticket. Yeah, and you got to watch the show from up yeah. there. So um, two for me and Joanne. Yeah, so you all had, uh, have bought some. And I, I sat my mom up there as well. And that's where we actually had our first like, you know, real conversations. And, you know, you had mentioned you were a bummer shoot, which of course I didn't remember you or anything. And you met my mom and we started to uh, interact a little and talk that day. Yeah. Yeah. So those were, that's what happened with that. And honestly, I don't really remember really talking to you though, until about May of the next year in 2013. Um, Which is fair though. I mean, I was more interested in the artist than the manager. No, seriously. No, <laughs> yeah. seriously. So I went and saw all of Aaron's shows, you know, and I became friends with Aaron long before I actually became friends with you. Yeah. You were going to more shows than I was because, you know, he, I mean, he, the guy played like all the time, you know, these acoustic shows that sometimes we didn't even hardly promote. And you were going to those and you already had a relationship with him, which I was not even aware of. So uh, it was like May the next year, and we were doing the show like across the street from the uh, the Mariners Stadium down there at the Pyramid, just doing like an afternoon like pregame show or something like that. And I do remember actually talking with you there a little bit more, and you're like, oh, you know, I'm the guy who was at Kirkland Performance Center last year. And what I also remember is like you and you had your daughter with you, it must have been Jesse, and you all bought a lot of merch. So that got my interest. I was like, ooh. And that, but I remembered as like, oh, this guy always buys a lot of merch. And so that's. And I brought John Grandy and his kids were there too. And yeah. So we kind of doubled down on merch. And one of my favorite memories from that specific show was uh, our kids were playing Duck, Duck, Goose in the crowd at an Aaron show. <laughs> 
Did they play that song or something? <laughs> no, it was just I took a picture. Aaron's killed it up there, and his kids. It was a family thing, and you know, it's Duck Duck Goose. That's that's my memory from that show. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we started having conversations even there. And I think that was even the day where you started asking me, like, you know, when are you going to get this band on the road? And I was just like, well, because well, at that point I was managing them, whereas I had not been previously. But the old manager, Eli, had stepped down and I took over. I was like, ah, we're working on it. You know, I'm trying to get the band out of town a little bit. And financers are an issue. And, you know, we don't really have transportation. And um, I don't think you proposed it that day of using your van, but those were the, the beginning of the conversations. Correct. And then you just started showing up to like basically every show. And as time went on, you just, like you talked about earlier, you know, you just kind of worked your way in and you were just part of the family eventually. And, you know, then we started, uh, you did eventually offer up your van and that was a help for us for touring in like the early days with the group. Uh, it was a specific weekend. It was you weren't available to head towards eastern Washington. We played in Wenatchee, and uh, I think it actually was in Roslyn as well. I did both of those. You're like, I can't make it. Could you roll with the guys? Yeah. And I did, and that was it. I've been yeah. <laughs> done and over, and here we are years later. Yeah, and, you know, we started interacting more, and then we became Facebook friends and just, you know, the conversations. And then as time went on, like, even though I'm not working with that project anymore, and eventually you were working with the project, but then, you know, that kind of ended for you as well. You and I stayed close friends afterwards, and to this day, we're the best of friends, and I love you. I love you too, man. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about not necessarily always going by the rules, but to be clear, we're not trying to portray like we're just some kind of rebels who absolutely never follow any rules ever or like we're rude to venue staff or anything like that. I mean, in fact, when we do have assigned seats, we typically end up staying in those seats just because we don't sit in bad seats. It's not what we do. So what are some things that you'd like to mention that we'll be touching on in future podcast episodes? I mean, over these episodes, we're going to talk about a couple of things. And at any show, the first thing you got to do is get into the show. And that involves uh, purchasing tickets. Uh, you either get them through regular means. If you can't get them online the day of sale, uh, become friends with and learn how to use the scalping market. And a third option is, you know, relationships, whether with people who have tickets or you venue know, staff. Friends, and, yeah, venue yeah. staff or friends and all that stuff. You know, but in the end, you know, we're going to make fun of and talk about bending the rules, but uh, one rule stands above them all. Don't be a dick. Yeah. Don't be a dick in getting the tickets. Don't be a dick in getting in the venue. Don't be a dick in the venue. Just generally don't be a dick. Agreed. Okay. So now that you all know who we are and what this podcast is going to be all about, we thought we'd give you a little bit of a teaser of what uh, is going to happen in the next episode. We're going to be doing concert reviews from that one. And one we are going to talk about because it was a huge experience for Andy and myself was we went to Farm Aid in 2019. And at that festival, uh, we kind of had normal seats, but we ended up having a very abnormal experience down towards the front and a whole lot of other shenanigans and other things to speak about and um well tell you know tell the folks some of the artists that we saw at that festival yeah i mean we starting here because i mean the list of names that we saw that day is just kind of silly it's uh you know farm aid uh willie nelson neil young john mellencamp dave matthews bonnie Raitt, and lucas nelson of the promise of the real 
and I'll do a further tease. I mean, uh, we got a story about that coming in the near future as well. So a very good one indeed. Yeah, one of the best. Yeah. So thank you everyone for listening. Again, this has been Mackenzie Mackinich and Andy Gates, and this has been the "Those Rules Don't Apply to Us" podcast. Thank you for listening to our first episode, and we will catch you on the next one. And now let's go out with some Beyond the Lamplight. And that's the podcast. <laughs> that was so white. Been biding our time looking for a